I'm Vivian Nunez, and this is Happy to Be Here. Today, I'm in conversation with David Kessler, grief expert, author, and a fellow member of the Army of Grievers we all either belong to or know someone who does. I hope if you've lost someone, that this episode reflects a kinder, open definition of grief. I hope if you haven't lost anyone personally, that you still stick around. It'll make you a more compassionate supporter to those who have. I think we all have so much to learn. Here's David. It makes a full circle moment. We were just talking about our mutual friend, uh, Liz, who is actually the first episode of the season and who I think has always spoken so highly of how your work has impacted her. And I think she speaks for so many who feel the same exact way, whether we're talking about your work in grief or just how you are able to bring to life such heavy feelings that we kind of deal with. Liz is an amazing friend. Anyone who doesn't know Liz Hernandez should check her out. Her wordiful platform is so powerful. I'm just such a fan of hers, personally and professionally. For anyone who doesn't know me, I am a grief specialist, and I came to this work because of my mother dying when I was 13, and there was a shooting, and it was just, you know, all the stuff you don't want to happen in a childhood happened to me. And it really set me on a path to find my own healing. And uh, spent years, decades trying to do that. And along the way, found out that this was something I wanted to try to help others do. And was privileged to write a couple of books with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and one with Louise Hay and a few of my own. And uh, then five years ago, my own younger son, David, died unexpectedly. And I was thrown back into the epicenter of grief. And uh, so that's sort of the grief outline of my life. And I tell people I come to this professionally and personally. How did you find how did you tackle that inspiration behind I'm living through this and now I want to study it and I want to figure out how to cope with it on a personal level, but also on an academic career level? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I struggled with that. I thought it was something that was for my own healing and I kept getting pulled into it. And despite me trying to work in other areas, it sort of mm -hmm. kept coming back to me. So I finally, you know, decided this is what I'm supposed to do. And it's, <laughs> you know, I think that was sort of just in my 20s and 30s, I didn't want to be the death and grief guy. Uh, but I've sort of settled into it now decades later. And uh, I think because I approached it from really trying to find some peace for myself, it gives me an everyday language that I sort of can talk to people about it. I love that. It's something that as I've lived with grief personally and even written about it on a more career level, I found that the, the biggest tool you end up getting is that extra dictionary that helps you kind of verbalize what you're feeling for other people who haven't gone through it or haven't gone through your specific loss. How do you find that other people come to you and tell them, and tell you like you've helped them find that that same level of dictionary that they maybe didn't know they had needed before. I'm always so inspired by by their language. You know, they'll talk about the unknown terrain or 
you know, one person that I worked with talked about landing on this planet with no instruction book, you know, booklet. So I think it is somewhere we're thrust into and we don't even know there's a language until we try to find our own words and maybe are lucky enough to find other people in grief or, you know, people like you and others that help us talk to one another. What advice do you give to someone who has landed on this planet for the first time? I want them to know that we know how to grieve. It's in our bones. It's in who we are. It's, you know, I remind people, like, you come from a long line of dead people. Every ancestor, every person you know has died in your family, you know, that's been before you. And we know how to do this. And, you know, I try to prepare people that, and you're going to wake up in this new world where people want you to get over it and move on or tell you their formula. And there is one path that's literally just yours. And it doesn't even have to make sense to anyone else. It just is yours. And it's a painful path and it's worse than you thought it would be. I think those are sort of the main things. And I, I often tell them, no feeling is final. You know, you're, you're going to, what we all do is I think we get in pain and we project it out for decades. Ooh, this is what it's going to be like. And after a while, you realize mm -hmm. your feelings are always changing. I think you just blew my mind by saying we know how to grieve. Um, I don't think anyone has ever phrased it that way. I've never heard it that way. And that hits at the nail of what so many people who are grieving, I think, and I myself personally, get caught up in, which is like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? And the fact that in our bones, we already know how we're supposed to be doing this. We kind of get in our own way then as we're And as society. And does the other people who we make uncomfortable, the people who don't know how to deal with us. And so, you know, you're dealing with so many factors when you're in grief and you just sort of want to experience it and figure out your own way. What are some parameters or boundaries that people can set to kind of allow the instinctual grief to manifest more than the performative or the forced version of it? Yeah, you know, it's really challenging to have to be in so much pain and educate others at the same time. And mm -hmm. to let them know really what's working and what's not working, or if it's not working what someone says to you or their advice they're giving you, you just got to realize their mother, their father, their sibling, their child, their friend, their spouse hasn't died. They're, they're just shooting in the dark trying to help you and mm -hmm. to not take it too seriously. I know you've talked about this before, and we've actually had conversations about this before, how even though you were a grief expert, someone who studied it, living it again was something that almost felt out of body in the sense of like, now I am living the thing that I was writing about. How was that on a personal level? And was there anything that you 
experience on a personal level that you didn't remember or think, oh, wait, this is actually something people deal with um, when you were more on the writing side of it or a little bit further out from your own grief? I had two things that happened. The intensity of the pain was overwhelming. Once in a while, still is. It was really overwhelming, and I've said I wanted to write a note to each person, especially the bereaved parents, saying, oh my gosh, I had no idea how much pain you were in. And, and I think, not that I think people who work in grief sort of really know or pretend like they mm-hmm. know what someone else's grief is. I think the average person that works in this field would pretty grief literally say, I don't know other people's pain, but I was shocked at it. I was shocked at the, you know, the, the, the force of it. So that was one thing that surprised me. The other thing is I eventually got to a place where I decided, all right, I got to take my own advice. I got to go to grief counseling. I got to go to a grief group. And I was surprised this advice that I had thrown out so easily to people when I had to take my own medicine was shockingly hard. Mm -hmm. You know, thinking about who do I go to? How do I figure that out? And then going to a grief group. And I, you know, I had to go to a grief group. Uh, I even say it like I had to go to a grief group. Like I, with disdain, I had to go to a grief group and, you know, I took my contacts out and put my glasses on and a baseball cap because I didn't, I, I knew I couldn't be the grief expert and I wanted to be the grief expert. I didn't want to be the dad. And I literally sat four feet from a table with my books on it. And I wanted to be that guy. I didn't want to be the guy who had to bury a child. I think we all end up in that space. And I think what you said is right too. Like whoever works in this space or if you've lost someone and you're with a friend who just happened to lose someone now or you're navigating that, we all say like, you know, you don't, everyone's path is so unique and you don't know what you're going to deal with until you deal with it on your own. But it is, I think, I think we forget how all consuming and overwhelming it can feel in that moment. And I think we do that so that we can survive the rest of the days. Because uh, if we were to remember that, it would be, I think, very, very hard to navigate today. Um, but I do think you offer so many tools through your writing, through your through grief.com that is able to really help someone through those up and ups and downs and not feel like they're going to drown all the time. Yeah. Which and the, really and the new thing we have to contend with is the new DSM-5, which is the diagnostic mm-hmm. book that's used for mental health providers and healthcare providers to get reimbursed and getting reimbursed and having services for people in grief is so important. And I'm really sorry that when they came up with a diagnosis, they changed it from complicated to grief to prolonged grief. Because mm-hmm. I literally feel like prolonged grief Sounds like we're telling you you're grieving too long. Mm-hmm. And I've had so many people tell me that 
friends and family members have sent the articles to them going, see, I knew you should get out of your sadness. It's been too long. And I actually talked to one of the researchers in a public forum and oh, wow. mm -hmm. I said to her, and it was, it was prior when they were calling it complicated grief, it was six months and a day. And then they were afraid of backlash and moved it to a year. But even when it was six months and a day, I said, you know, I might have taken this in as a grief specialist, but now that I'm a bereaved parent too, I just want to check with you. Are you really saying at six months mm -hmm. and a day, if I'm still really sad, if I still don't know if I'm still a parent, if I'm still yearning, if I'm having identity issues about who am I in the world now, that I really have complicated prolonged grief. And I kind of thought the person would go, oh, well, with all due respect, I did, you know, I, you know, I thought they would like, mm -hmm. but she was like, nope, that's correct. And I just think the timeline is so arbitrary and I, and you probably know people who could use some interventions and help at two months and others, mm -hmm. that's what grief looks like at one year, two years, you know, there's, there's no timeline in grief and boy, we want to put a timeline on it. And that is, so I'll add the article to the show notes that made the rounds a few months ago around that update. And the, I think just uproar on the fact that we can't put a timeline on this when you're living it. I mean, this will be my 19th mother's day without my mom. And still Vivian, you haven't forgotten her still. Don't you feel like right. the world exactly. is still Vivian really? And you're like 19 mothers day. Let's sit down and talk about how long that is. How many cars I can't. I was telling my boyfriend this week. I was like, I have this urge to go buy a card and I have no one to buy it for. And that urge doesn't go away just because my mom isn't around. And that's grief, right? Like having to navigate that feeling, not having the person around, that is as much grief as it is like the day that I miss her, the, the way it manifests. And I think I love that you brought this up because we do punish ourselves for feeling and we punish ourselves for how long we feel something. And I think that the society, like you've mentioned in this episode, have really make it hard to not punish ourselves because they tell us six months right. in a day, a year, whatever it may look like. And it's nice for someone to hear that it's okay if it's been 19 years, right. 100 years for you to be feeling the way you're feeling. Oh, and I remember working in the hospital system and I was around hospice folks at this moment when I was chatting, it was like hospice and social workers and a number of people. And I said, like, it was a Friday afternoon and people were going, what are you doing this weekend? And this is a few years ago when I said, you know, it's the 35th anniversary of my mother's death. And I said, so I'm kind of trying to figure out what to do with that. And I remember one person mm -hmm. said to me, oh 35 years and you still remember and i turned to her and i said your parents are still alive huh and she goes well yeah of course <laughs> and i go yeah i figured because like only someone who your parents are still alive would say that like mm -hmm. who was my mother some random person that i sort of don't yeah. remember from my childhood 
like our loved ones are unforgettable at any point right and i think it's so what came to mind to me there is you wouldn't they wouldn't forget their parents birthday right and it it is that same level of well i remember because that was a day someone was here and then the day that they weren't anymore and that leaves a mark that cannot be forgotten i think it's only been very recently for me where i have i haven't relived the day of her death in present time the way i used to two three four years ago and that was like 14 years in where it would be like every january 10th i would remember exactly what i was doing when i was doing it mine's january Mm -hmm. 11th wow that's my mom you see that like that that, that's my mom yeah and my grandma passed away March 10th and my puppy actually was born March 9th, 2020. My grandmother passed in 2014, but I always think he was very much a godson from my grandmother years later because of the synchronicity there. But it, you know, it stays with you. And I think we, we tend to punish ourselves for those things, but I, I love that you brought it up because it helps bring us back to the point that grief can look like so many different things for so many different people and that is okay right and you know for people to also know how many colors there are of grief and how many granular mm-hmm. granular aspects that like you remembering after 19 years doesn't mean you need to be treated you're in mm-hmm. grief you're this, you can't enjoy the day. I mean, all those things we want to, we want to put like always a black and white on grief. Are you in pain and grief or are you smiling and happy? And there's just Mm -hmm. a million colors to it. And I even tell people in grief that like, you know, they're always like, what should I do on the birthday? What should I do on the death day? Mm -hmm. And you know, it's the first one. And I'll tell them, you know, let the day be the day and sort of figure it out. And I say, by the way, whatever you figure out for this year probably isn't going to even work next year. (laughs) So you're sort of going to do this each year and let each year be different. And that's okay. The only plan I ever make on those big days are plans I can break. And so I'll make a plan for if it's a great day, I'll make a plan for if it's a hard day. And then I have contingencies that help me get out of bed. But what that would look like and how I will decide that depends solely on how I wake up that morning. And, you know, I think with social media especially, it becomes such a conversation. I talk a lot, obviously, about grief and mental health on my social platforms. And every time I post about my mom, I'm like, every person who hasn't lost someone who sees this is going to say, She's so depressed. She's so sad. I can't believe she still hasn't gotten over this. And I'm like, I wish they knew like that grief looks like joy, right? And that if I'm sharing, it's sometimes only because sometimes I'm sad, but sometimes it's because I want to share my mom like everyone else shares their parents or everyone else shares someone. And and there is joy and comfort in that for me. But it is such a black and white world where that is something someone cannot hold because then they have to hold the breath of what grief can actually look like. Right, exactly. And, you know, it's been interesting. I don't know if you ever had this experience. I'm sure you did. But there were been there were many times 
over the years, I would have a friend who's just arguing or having the like, you know, the mm -hmm. most miserable relationship with their parent. And I would sort of go, you know, you wouldn't do that if you were in my shoes. And, mm -hmm. you know, I would give anything for a mother to, you know, argue with. I would love that experience. And I sort of not judge them, but maybe a little. And <laughs> the truth is, as years progressed and some of their mothers died, they weren't in regret about mm -hmm. the argument. And I have to realize, oh, they didn't actually have my mother. Like, you know, we all have different loved ones and they're complicated relationships. And I even think about the difference between my father and my mother. My mother died mm -hmm. when I was 13. She was in her early 50s, which I thought was old then and now it's young. Mm -hmm. And my father died in his 80s. He was ready. We had every discussion mm -hmm. possible, like no stone was unturned. He died at home with me on hospice. Mm -hmm. The grief is so different. You know, my mother was ripped away from me. It's January 11th. It's ingrained in my psyche. You know, the lights just begin to change color as January 11th okay. approaches. My father, on the other hand, the grief's not painful. And I'm like, oh, what's his day again? What's the anniversary mm -hmm. day? Like, it's just not the same kind of pain because he got enough of this life. I got to have mm -hmm. a lot of him. So it's very different. And I think, you know, we all have the myth that like there's one grief and there's yep. not. It is not one size fit all for the relationship, for the person, for how we like my brother was 21 when my mom passed away and I was 10. And I mean, we lost two different moms, right? Because a mom to a 21 year old and a mom to a 10 year old is different moms. But to that same point, my grandmother, when she passed away, she was 85 and I was 21. And we had a lot of time together where it was, she was in a lot of pain towards the end of her life in the hospital that it felt like a relief and a release for her to pass as peacefully as we could make it possible. Um, it still hurt, right, and in different ways. But with my mom, it was very similar. It felt like, I was actually talking about this recently, I felt like I lost my mom over the span of four days, even though it was four months, because I was so little that I was very sheltered from, like, her being in the hospital. I only saw her once. I only saw her when she left. saw her once in the hospital. I spoke one on the phone, and then when she died. So for me, it felt like it happened like that, even though it was over a longer period of time. And that sits with you differently as you grow up and you navigate what that grief can look like in your day-to-day -day life. But I do think that anyone who is listening and is like, well, my grief doesn't look like theirs or it doesn't sound like it. Like grief is just a color and you get to color whatever color makes sense in your life. Or um, that day. Because anything other than that isn't fair. Or Maybe that day. That I love that you said that too. Maybe that day. Literally. <laughs> I think that you, you said earlier too about you know, what you do in this death anniversary, this Mother's Day, this Father's Day, whatever, it it may not be at all what you do again next year or what you did the year before. And that's a sense of 
permission that I think is really hard to give yourself but it's necessary how do you encourage people to give themselves that sense of permission of allowing grief to be whatever it needs to be that hour that minute that day I'm a big believer in community I have you know mm-hmm. some large I have a large grief group online and mm-hmm. I think it's so helpful for people to see other people in grief to hear other people in grief and there's there's people in my grief groups that have never turned their camera on or put their name up and we don't even know they're there, but they just want to hear other people saying what they're thinking so that they know they're not crazy. And I think when you're alone and isolated in your grief, our self-talk can be, oh my gosh, I'm crazy. I'm not moving through this. I'm not getting out of this. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And then you hear someone else talk or someone hear us talk and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, they're they're talking my language. <laughs> yep. And it gives you just that point of comparison of like, you know what? Sometimes it's like, wow, that person is like way more in their grief, way less in their grief. But it just gives you something to hold on to. Or, wow, that person's having a good day. And I saw them mm-hmm. when they were in their darkness and it's amazing that, you know, they've come out of their darkness for today. This is an awesome place to start wrapping up the conversation. And also a question that I've been asking all my guests, because so the title of the podcast is happy to be here. And it is for that exact reason, because I don't think that we move through mental health or life just for the sake of going through the bad and saying we did. I think we do it so that we can feel happier to be here, whatever that needs to look like. What are some tools, resources that can help people feel a little bit happier to be here um, that you would recommend? And also, what is something that is making you feel happy to be here today? Well, talking to you and connecting is wonderful. (laughs) Very Um, generous. Thank you. It feels like we're coming out of winter and springs here, although you Mm -hmm. folks on the East Coast have been like, yeah, we haven't gotten the winter. (laughs) Uh, That memo that winter has ended. Um, you know, I, I, I think death makes life valuable and I don't expect anyone newly in grief to understand that yet, but at a certain point you get that and you begin to appreciate it. It doesn't mean, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, ran groups for years for people in cancer and it would be fascinating Mm -hmm. to me to see how there would always be that moment someone would be dealing with their cancer or dealing with remission or whatever it may be. And they'd have that moment where they would get up and just watch the sunrise in awe. And then I would also love that moment where they would go, okay, you just can't watch that many sunrises. (laughs) And you know, to sort of begin to also appreciate the imperfection of this life. You know, I can really find gratitude at a sunrise. Can I find gratitude in traffic? I mean, that's sort of the challenge of this life is can we find Mm -hmm. some sort of peace beyond what's happening to us? And, you know, uh, it's it's interesting. One of the things I would say, it would drive my kids nuts when they were growing up. They would sometimes go, why are you happy today? And I would go, just happy for no reason. And it's that idea of, 
can you be happy for like does something really have like mm -hmm. do you have to win something or get something or buy something or can you just be happy and you know going back to grief for a moment it's also you probably had this experience everyone who's gone through grief often has mm -hmm. it you go to some get together and you smile and people go, oh, I'm so glad you're smiling, like dot, 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 the grief is over. Mm -hmm. And you know, I can be happy today. And it doesn't mean I don't miss my parents. And it certainly doesn't mean I'm not heartbroken around my son. But mm -hmm. I get to have all those emotions and they don't have to define me. And I think that's so important for people to know. And if you need help, get help. That's the good thing about the new prolonged mm -hmm. grief diagnosis. And by the way, if anyone wants to like deep dive into that, I did a whole thing uh, with a few other experts at griefdiscussion.com. So oh, I'll make sure to include a link for that. Dive into that and really hear all the, you know, aspects of it. But mm -hmm. I think it's just realizing that, you know, this life has hills and valleys and it's really easy to think that valleys aren't valuable, but they are. That's a beautiful way to end this conversation, David. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing so much of your wisdom. I love how David answered my last question because it's a reminder that we hold so many feelings all at once or at any given time. You can find all of David's links and references in the show notes and episode description. Remember to give Happy to Be Here some love by rating, reviewing, and especially sharing. I'll see you next Thursday in conversation with content creator and author Carly, aka Carly the Prepster, as we talk about mental health, being a content creator, and so much more. See you next week.